Welcome to Side Order, that extra little bit of seconds you always crave. I'm your host Matt, and with me is the one and only Dave. Hello there, greetings, salutations, how the devil are you sir? I am tired of doing these things over and over and over. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The laptop stopped recording, the internet is shit. Our normal, you should know by now, whenever we remote record it goes just wrong every single time. On one side. This is like standard. On one this side. This is like standard now. I know, but this is like standard for us now. Yeah, it's, it's like, fine. let's start recording at 8pm, 8, 8 and here we are at half past. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. It's because I'm a terrible human being and person, and I'm just struggling. Leave me alone! Yep, fair enough. Well... I did want to thank you for the new intro music because it's rad, but I don't know if you deserve that now. <laughs> hey, 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 look, to quote that awful little Britain sketch, I write the theme tune, I sing the theme tune, you know, it's just one of those things. It's inspired me to pick up guitar again within the last sort of couple of months, so that's good. Do you know how long that took me to record off chance? Six days. Six days. No, so when I initially started it, it was like 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and I think I had it down and nailed, believe it or not, I think it was done by about 5, 6 o'clock. Okay. Which isn't bad for me, considering I'm quite the perfectionist when it comes to recording music and just generally experimenting, because I was kind of writing it all on the spot anyway, so I'm, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it's sort of everything I asked for, because behind the scenes I went... I want an acoustic theme tune. Yeah, because I started working on one thing. Maybe it'll, maybe I'll, if I've still got the recording, maybe I'll send it on and we'll put it on the end of this. But then I kind of started working on that for like an hour. And I was like, yeah, this is shit. <laughs> and then I did something else. Yeah, no, no, no. I was doing a really nice sort of fluttery guitar thing. It was nice. It was really nice and pretty and. I was like, hang on, I could just recycle this riff I wrote like a couple of years ago. I was like, yes. Recycle, reuse, it's it's good for the environment. Think green, everybody. That's the one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, last time round, I completely blew your mind with a movie fact. You did. But that's likely lost to the, the depths of the internet now. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is save that for the end of this recording. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, fuck it. Yeah. We want to hear your best acting skills at your mind being blown. Okay. That's the challenge. That's the ch- okay. Right. That's the challenge for this for this recording. All right. Are you ready? For- okay. Right. Are you I ready for this? this. Pretend yeah. you never heard this before. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Got this. Right. Nailed it. Cool. Did you know in the early nineties? No, I didn't. Good. Good. That there was a. Bit- <laughs> that there was a bidding war <laughs> for Jurassic Park. Right. So I was... I didn't know this, no. Mm, so alongside Universal bidding for Steven Spielberg, which is the film we eventually got, a number of other studios yeah. were bidding, and one of those other studios was bidding on behalf of Paul Verhoeven. Wow, Paul Verhoeven of Robocop fame and Starship Troopers? Is that too much, or do I need to tone it yeah, down? Yeah, you'd never make an act in school, <laughs> would you? <laughs> No, I legitimately didn't know this. Um, that, imagine the film we could have got, though. It would have been so pulpy. And it would have followed the novel a lot yeah. closer of a lot more deaths and grizzled. And 
I'm I'm kind of getting flashbacks to Tammy and the T Rex now. Uh, it would have been like that, Don't except good. But interestingly, if you go down this, <laughs> this is the bit that will blow your mind. If you go down that rabbit hole, would we've had such yeah. the huge boom around CGI, given that Spielberg and Lucas and all of the teams involved at the time just blew open the door by going, we can use computer-enhanced graphics here to tie dinosaurs into this. You think that was the first major really... blockbuster they introduced that? And if they hadn't taken those steps I... with what they did... Where could we... Mm. That's really interesting because I know Jurassic Park originally they were going to use stop motion which is why uh, Phil Tippett... God damn it, Phil! Yeah, that's why he got the credit on the film because he was the dinosaur supervisor but he was only the supervisor for the stop motion I think is... He had one job and he failed miserably. Look what happened to those dinosaurs. There were raptors in the kitchen, Phil! There were raptors in the kitchen. It's unhygienic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So there you go. I just I just wanted to, to to open and broaden your mind with that little bit of trivia and that thing of what if I mean, yeah, that's um Yeah, I I can always go for more Paul Verhoeven in my life, to be honest. That would have led to so many different Oh wow! I'm just thinking about it, and I really, I'm kind of sad we didn't get it, to be honest. Mm. In a parallel world, my my desire, my desire to know more, is intensifying. Yes, do the meme. Nah. <laughs> yes, memes. Okay, so let's move on to the main agenda. Yes. This episode, I want to chat about films. Plural. Just purely films? We're not going to touch any of this other shit? I, I have watched a lot of movie films. I believe you have watched a lot of movie films. Some of those movie Some films of them we, watched together. we watched together on, on Days Out. We, we we did indeed, yes, because it's a thing that we do. Can you believe it, folks? We we actually stepped into the outside world. It, it's, it's people up there, but we braved it because we soon went indoors again afterwards because there was a cinema mm. cinema good <laughs> yes so so how how would you like to do this would you like me just to reel off a list of movies that I've watched this month and then we'll compare and contrast and then we'll get into discussing them one by one what do you reckon what, what's what's taking your fancy we yeah let you just reel off a list and then we'll just go one by one and then I'll jump in if I can think of anything else that I've watched within the last month or so obviously catchphrase uh, before them yeah yeah obviously <laughs> yeah need to get you a thesaurus okay yeah. so in no particular order except I'm going to try and go chronologically since our last session I have seen okay the Suicide Squad I have also seen the Suicide Squad I re-watched the Incredible Hulk. I rewatched. Fucking hell. I rewatched Doctor Strange. I rewatched Marvel Mini, All Hail the King. I also watched that. I then went and saw Shang Chi, and the Legend of Ten Rings. I also saw that. Yes. I then may have been, and seen Old Boy. 
I also saw that. <laughs> of all... Do you notice a theme, dear listener? Mm. I've then further watched Bumblebee. I have seen that, but we didn't watch that together. And finally at the cinema... No, no, actually. Yes. And finally, the last movie film I've watched, which was Sunday Afternoon. Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, that's right. Uh, I managed to make it to a limited screening of Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring from 2001. Fuck nice, me, is that a good nice, film? Nice. Fellowship of the Ring is great, isn't it? 4K restoration. It's such. Oh, 4K as well. Was it extended or was it theatrical? It was a theatrical, but it came in at three hours. So. So tell me, tell tell me about Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring. Then, how does it stand up now compared to ah, stand up? Um, how does it stand up to reappraisal now uh, after you saw it those initial years ago? Still superb. Um, Still good. Uh, again, this is one where CG was used, but used sparingly, and so much of the elements within this film practical and I must admit I was sitting there going wow using that force perspective really did wonders like shooting downwards at Frodo and the other hobbits to make them look smaller shooting upwards at Gandalf and other taller um, creatures or characters making them look taller and then using other elements say like uh, there's a scene right at the start of the film where Gandalf is visiting Bilbo Gandalf is sitting at the table and Bilbo is pouring him a cup of tea now clearly, my understanding is is that Sir Ian McKellen was sitting right next to the camera, and then um, yes. Ian Home was standing at the far end of the table, but sideways on. Thereby, it looked like they're facing each other. However, given the distance, yeah. one looks notably smaller than the other, and I'm like, it's that's such more... a simple filmmaking trick, yeah. but it's amazing. It's more in in camera trickery it's sort of going really along the lines of kind of beautiful cinematography and things like that because it's all in camera it's not something you have to do on a computer mm. or, or things like that it's very very impressive yeah and I must admit thinking back to some of the more CG elements they really held up and nothing stands out in my yeah. memory bearing in mind I watched this Sunday Nothing stands out in my memories going, that looked really dated. Like, there was a couple of shots, not with CG, but where you can go, that's a matte painting for a background. I think the one shot where that stood out to me, and this is going to test your memory, when the Nazgul are approaching Hobbiton, there's a shot of the night sky, sort of dark hills, and then a horse walks into frame, just that you see the front uh, legs of it with a Nazgul on yeah. it and I'm like that background's map yeah but that was literally the only shot that stood out to me and other than that flawless now the I mean, yeah, the exciting yeah. thing this weekend coming I'm seeing the two towers and Return of the King I've got both of them yeah. oh wow okay two different days though because cool. I've got recovery period in between <laughs> Both obviously the theatrical cuts again. Yeah, 4K, 4K restorations 4K. though. 4K. 
but my if my recollection serves me, Fellowship was the shortest of the three theatrically. Yes. So those next yes. two are going to be long old hauls. Because I think Fellowship was two forty-five. I think Two Towers is three, and then I think Return of the King is the longest. I think that's theatrically. I want to say it's three fifteen. Mm. Possibly might be longer. I know the extended one for Return of the King's pushing four hours. Yeah, e- easily, easily, if not more. And that's another. Yeah. That's another thing. Have you ever encountered in the wild any other DVDs where it goes? Hmm. Please insert this too to continue the movie. The Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> is the only example of that I've ever encountered. I'm just trying to think whether Schindler's List did it, but I I don't know off the top of my head. Honestly, I'm I'm gonna level with you. That that's cool though because I remember seeing Fellowship of the Ring at the cinema originally, and. That absolutely blew my mind. I'm not. I'm not really one. Of, so when I was much younger, I wasn't really one for kind of these big, sprawling, epic fantasy adventures. Like, for lack of a better term, like Dungeons and Dragons style swords and sword swords and sorcery is the word I was looking for. Yeah, you, I you're think what it was called. Fan, uh, fantasy in a traditional sense is not sank for you. Yeah, it's, it wasn't. It's, as I've got older. I've got a little bit more into it, but I think that's partly due to video games and understanding storytelling a lot more than what I did when I was younger. But I remember seeing Fellowship of the Ring and I remember being absolutely blown away by it. And when it came to the ending, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see the next one because I legitimately, where everybody else had, had read the books or they'd, they'd kind of, they were aware of its existence. I wasn't, so I was legitimately kind of interested to see where it goes, where, how this story was going to continue with these characters that we've got to know over this first film and such. So that's interesting. So you were more switched on than me. I have the distinct memory of watching that film in the cinema and going, it's just got, they've just been through the uh, Enchanted Forest, just seen Gladriel, yeah. they've just come out. The hobbits are about to split off, and uh, Sean Bean's like moments away from being Sean Beaned. And I'm thinking, yep. I've been in this cinema a long time. They haven't made it to Mordor yet. Bloody hell! They want to get a shift on. <laughs> I genuinely did not realise it was going to be a multi-film thing. Way back when, mm. never occurred to me because that was so rare to go. It's one story over multiple films, whereas really you're like one film. It's about an hour and a half done yes you may get sequel but I'd never known a story just flow over multiple films like that you have to think you have to think when it was green lit it was I believe it was kind of the mid 90s when it got green lit and they spent two or three years filming all three of these films back to back and back and back during the late 90s early 2000s that was unheard of it completely set kind of a trend within Hollywood's you know it did now, for the next I mean, sort of five to ten years. Every every yeah. novel, book, or or property went right. We need multiple films, and we need it to be a franchise. It needs to go minimum three films, exactly. if not more, which was great, but you also harmful. About, Harry Potter. You, yeah. I mean, you think about the Matrix sequels. The Matrix 
original one came out in 1999. Yep. The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions came out in 2002, 2003, I want to say. Those were filmed back to back. I believe they even may have released and they come out 2002, 2003, but it was like six or seven months apart. Yeah. And you think about those two Pirates of the Caribbean sequels, uh, Dead Man's Chest and, this is really testing my memory now, At World's End, they were shot back to back as well. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, they didn't do the proper legwork like they should have done because I think they would... I probably might revisit this in an episode later down the line, but if memory serves, the story goes was that they were literally getting pages of script on the day of shooting. They were that kind of behind on... And it shows. Uh, Oh, God, yeah, for sure. But yeah, and even then, you think about the Harry Potter series, how that revolutionised kind of film and book adaptations, you know, splitting the final book in half just so Warner Bros. can just get teensy bit more money out of you and that kind of you know that spread onto films like twilight because they did it for breaking dawn part one and two yeah uh, the hunger games did it as yep. well they split the last book in half one was two. the was it um, maze runner or divergent or saying divergence i think it was the maze runner that did it as mm. well possibly i think divergent got shit canned halfway through its uh, theatrical run so to take a word for it, I didn't. I didn't watch any of those. That yeah, yeah. I see. I saw. I seen the majority of the Maze Runners, but um, yeah, Divergent. I haven't seen. But there you go. That's kind of going off on a tangent there. But um, yeah, no, that that would be interesting to see. I'd love to see 4K restoration of them of um, Lord of the Rings. Anyway, uh, the, I bet they look fantastic. Well, now available on Blu-ray, UHD yeah. Blu-ray. You can get the 4K yeah, extended in a box set. Oh, can you? Yes. They were released Ooh. late last year, brand new restorations. Ooh. They cost many, many great British pounds. <laughs> yeah, because I think... Do you know what? I think actually I read online this year that they are doing the Middle Earth collection, I think they're calling it. So they're doing all three yeah. Hobbit films. Yeah all three Lord of the Rings extended in one massive box set and they're calling it like the Middle Earth set or something which like is that. great except the Hobbit trilogy really was lacking I've only seen one of them and one was enough for me thank you very much uh, Good night, Vienna. funnily enough that one's got fan edit wrote all over it hasn't it oh good lord yes yes it was one book stretched over three films unnecessarily with lots of padding and additional storylines not in the book I reckon a fan editor could go cut, 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 streamline, cut, cut, streamline, cut, cut. Yeah, three films into one. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, or maybe, maybe yeah, one very long film, or maybe two. Uh, it could certainly be condensed. It's funny that you say that you're seeing you're seeing those at the weekend. You'll never guess what I'm seeing Saturday night, which is also repertory cinema again. Is it some horrible Italian gore film? No, I'm seeing Ghost in the Shell or the IMAX. The the animated one, just just to, yes. to confirm that. Wow. Yeah, 4K IMAX screening. Sweet. Yeah, saw it years ago. I've not seen it since then, so I'm quite looking forward to that. Anyway, we're going off on a tangent. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we've gone from on. what we have watched to what we will be watching, which we'll discuss <laughs> next time, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. You'll get an update from me on how Middle Earth is doing. 
Yeah, and I will tell you about how confused I am about Ghost in the Shell. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, so let's move on. Shall we talk Suicide Squad? Yes, let's. Because I think I had... Let's talk Squad. I had a differing opinion to you, but our, our overall opinion so was did. shared, which yeah. was, it was enjoyable, it was great. Yes. But a lot of the elements making up to it, I just went... Yeah, nah. It's alright. It's nothing special. I'm kind of like... At least you delivered on the premise. I mean, yeah. I I definitely come out of it... I think I came out and I said that was fucking excellent. Mm. I think it's probably what I said along those lines. So... I think it's probably because... It was nice to... For me, personally it was nice to see James Gunn who wrote and directed this film to go back to his roots a little bit more go back to his more uh, horror roots because he you know many many years ago he made his start within the industry working for trauma films he did a film called uh, Tromeo and Juliet which is like a very loose adaptation of extremely loose adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet he wrote that. It's argued whether he directed it or not, but he definitely wrote it for sure. But seeing him go back to his roots and embrace kind of the horror elements and the gore and the blood and the violence that kind of he basically carved out a little niche for himself along with kind of these musical motifs that we all know him for now from the Guardians of the Galaxy films in a different setting and seeing a lot of his actor friends that he cast in a lot of his other films all kind of come together in this one film it was just a lot of fun for me even if they did majorly change a lot of the characters backstories but I think arguably you can get away with it in the Suicide Squad because who, who legitimately is a massive fan of the Polka Dot Man and he's really going to care if they change his backstory that much No, I, which they did I didn't mind all of that too much I'd say Firstly, prepare for spoilers, everybody. So I was sad that Boomerang uh, pegged it. Yeah, I looked over you when that happened in the like, cinema, oh. and you did not look impressed. So no, you did not look impressed. Not Captain Boomerang, he was cool, and he shouldn't have been. <laughs> but he, arguably, for the first film, though, I might do a podcast on the original film. He was the shiny. He was literally the diamond in the rough of that film. Yeah, he re- he really the was. One. He really was. Which is why I was a bit like, I can understand why you've killed him off in this. However, I'm also just that little bit sad about it. But I did like how how when they find his body, it's just the remnants of an arm holding a boomerang up, and there's nothing else of him left. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I liked some of the other characters they introduced and killed off. I thought that was pretty cool. Again, living up to the premise. Really, the the, the thing for me, sort of once again, was the the plot just didn't kind of do enough for me around. We're sending the Suicide Squad to do a job that no one else can do, except literally any military force could do that. It's to stop. Yes, one thing is to destroy some government secrets but it's done via taking out an insurgent government. I've seen the Expendables do that. That's the plot of the Expendables one. 
they're literally going to yes, an is, island. Yeah, I had to think it about may that for a even moment, yeah. be the same island, the Corto Maltese, that they went to in the Expendables as well. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I like the actual government secret and what it was. I thought that was brilliant. I really liked how they did yeah. that. Superb. But a little part of me, and I can't help it, I almost would have liked James Gunn's first idea, which was going... Henry Cavill, Superman gone bad, and the Suicide Squad have gone in to try and stop him. Like he's been exposed to red kryptonite or something crazy. Like, if we were going to go down a hard R, going, fuck it, Zack Snyder wanted a dark and gritty universe, we'll do that, plus humour and lots of gore. Can you imagine Superman on a live action mashing the fuck out of people, laser beaming shit up? And the only people that can stand up to him are Suicide Squad, which this is the other thing I liked about this film is going my suicide squad depends on the mission and I've got a prison full of inmates that I've had redirected to my prison and I'll just go we need a firearms expert okay we'll take them out cell two and cell three so I have an entire prison where there's lots of characters in the background uh, for example you see the calendar man uh, famous Batman yep. villain. you've got all these other characters in the background Sean like, Gunn for the yep. Sean Gunn playing calendar man of course because it's a james gunn joint of course his brother's in it yeah mandatory <laughs> uh is that thing of going and mm, he played weasel yes he did he did the mocap for weasel because he also likes yes, he, he also likes to pull double duty and everything is in of course he does <laughs> i believe he did the mocap for rocket raccoon as well throughout the guardians films yeah he yeah yeah he does mocap for rocket yeah yeah um, so I those greens. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen the gr- behind the? Sh- yes, I have shots. seen Dave Batista uh, stroking Sean Gunn's head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very strange. But um, yeah. yeah, please carry on. Sorry, I, uh, I, I just like that there's a prison full of inmates and that they could call upon any one of them for a particular mission, and it's all just cannon fodder. I'm like, yeah. So if yeah. they'd gone down the Superman route, they literally could have had maybe quadruple the cast size. Yeah, you know they could have just looked like comic book accurate, and then like have arms and legs and shit ripped off, and it would have been superb. Uh, and that would have been cool I to think... see. But 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 the villain we actually got really enjoyed. Starro the motherfucking destroyer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that was cool. I I think I said this when we came out. I think I said something along along the lines of, "I can't believe we now live in a world." Where we get Starro as a villain well, in a major release Hollywood film, because you think about twenty, thirty years ago, if you said to somebody, they wouldn't have done Starro, it ten years ago. Mother... They wouldn't have done it yeah. ten years ago, let alone yeah. further back. Yeah, you get Starro, which spoilers again, essentially a mind controlling starfish from, from outer space. Spice, yeah. who, spice. <laughs> You, you would never have got that no. in a million years I mean not even as much as I love Marvel even the MCU haven't gone that wacky they've gone out there but they've not gone let's get a, a starfish from outer space wacky yeah. yet and I also I mean, liked how pressing it was that the message was giant starfish that can take over your body wear a mask <laughs> yes yeah, that was nice. I, that's totally unintentional, but yeah, that was that was nice. I like that. Mm. <laughs> Cinema in a COVID era. 
yeah um so yeah i liked the film i just felt it had a few weaknesses but yeah very enjoyable it's worth a watch for definite i i really enjoyed it i think i overall enjoyed it much more because oh i know what we haven't touched upon king shark okay Oh God, yes, King Shark! Yeah. <laughs> How could we forget King Shark? I love King Shark in that film. I've seen a couple of iterations of King Shark on TV through the Flash TV show, where he looks fucking cool. Uh, this adaptation of him—it's like a mix between the Harley Quinn version from the animated TV series and that version from the Flash TV series. Mm-hmm. Would you say? Yep. So they've kind of got him as a really lovable kind of sidekick, a bit like they do on the Harley Quinn TV series. Yeah. So he's making him really goofy. In this one, he's so sort then they made him hard as nails and terrifying. Yeah, they've kind of take they've taken Kedar Croc from the last film and gone. Here's a different anthropomorphic character. Yeah. Um, but good. But good. Who's a bit dumb? Doesn't do human language too well. Um, I believe that. Partway through the film, he's trying to eat rat catcher. Yes. <laughs> they just wake up and he's got like a head in his mouth or something, trying to eat her. Yeah. And he's like, nom nom? No, no nom nom. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. I think just the things best, like that. His, really, his right? best, yeah. His best moment is mustache. Yeah. And he literally. He's going to make no sense to anybody. He, he's holding well, one of his fins slash flippers to to his lip going moustache as a disguise yeah. <laughs> they're like we need a disguise to blend in with a crowd and like they're all dressing up and he's just like holding his finger there going moustache and right like, you're a giant shark mate you're not gonna blend in <laughs> yeah i think as stupid as it sounds i think it grounds the film a lot more mm. as much as a giant cg sylvester stallone voiced and, and that was the thing Can. when when <laughs> I, I was reading that James Gunn when he was writing the part went I need Stallone to do his voice and apparently they auditioned <laughs> other people and at the end of it was like I need Stallone to do his voice I can't imagine anyone else doing it and I'm like I can believe that it was a good decision and it's always nice to, and, it, and for me it was always nice to see Michael Rooker as well because Michael Rooker turns up in everything James Gunn he turns up in everything again that amused me because he's like starts the intros like some kind of bass badass in like solitary confinement doing some cool yes. stuff <laughs> it looks like he's going to be like the main antagonist slash protagonist of the film that's following him all the way through the prison system he's like a, a, a thing and he gets to the beach he's watching everybody on the mission get b- murdered and blown up and then he turns around screaming and tries to swim away <laughs> from like the mission area <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, sweet. That 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 yeah. did make me laugh. It's just like, yeah. Oh, can't wait for that to come out. I can't wait to watch it again. Legitimately, yeah. I really, really can't wait to watch it again. It was so much fun. It was very enjoyable. It was. Should we go from one comic property to another then? Uh, so, were we going to Shang Chi? Let's go to Shang-Chi. Let's so, we'll go from DC, we'll go to Marvel. Okay, so just to reiterate, I rewatched The Incredible Hulk, Doctor Strange, and yep. the mini All Hail the King in preparation for this. Because the trailer unfortunately spoiled that Abomination makes a cameo in this movie. The trailer also unfortunately yep. spoiled that Wong makes a cameo in this movie. 
Yep. And I kind of went in knowing that this is a film where the villain supposedly is the Mandarin, who is not referred to as the Mandarin. So I'd best see what Trevor Slattery was up to. Now, you hadn't seen All Hail the King. I hadn't before we saw Shang-Chi, no. And I made you watch that. You did, and that was a good 10-15 minutes well spent. <laughs> uh, for the listeners, essentially, always... it's uh, after the events of Iron Man 3, where Trevor Slattery, who had been... who played by Sir Ben Kingsley... Um, Trevor Slater is in prison and essentially he had been acting into the role of Mandarin having been tricked slash put into this role by the main villain of that actual film being Guy Pearce and in the prison he's in the prison essentially he's treated like a celebrity and he's got protection and he's just going around sort of like doing his voice from, from the Iron Man 3 game They'll never see me coming. coming. (laughs) And it was just so funny. And but it turns out that he's doing sort of a series of interviews that he believes is going to be in a newspaper or on TV or something. And the person doing the interview then kills all of the guards to extract Trevor Slattery. Going, you have disrespected our following and our religion someone wants yes. to see you they are not happy with you misusing their name and you're like wait what the mandarin's real <laughs> um so i'm like obviously watching that in advance of the shang chi film was very important because lo and behold yeah. mr slattery is referenced when wu wen who is essentially the mandarin the mandarin the head of the 10 rings though what he explains is that He's the head of the Ten Rings. He has been so for a damn near a thousand years. But some idiot in the West decided to name a terrorist, the Mandarin, a nice racist name, and use all of the historical evidence of the Ten Rings for propaganda. And he's like, no, how dare they do this? (laughs) Um, So so in this, the Mandarin is not called the Mandarin. He's just gone, goes by his name of Wu Wen who's something like a thousand years old and I'm like he's the best character in that film it was a brilliant depiction of that villain I almost felt sorry for him um, and I re- <laughs> uh, and then when I didn't feel sorry for him I'm going I really like your fighting style yeah yeah um, I mean I went into this not really knowing a lot about the character but then I think that's probably arguable for everybody because Shang- Shang-Chi Mm-hmm. as they pronounce it in the film is one of those really weird 1970s characters from Marvel Comics that, that had a couple of runs and then got relegated to obscurity except for a couple of characters mm-hmm. here and there that have made a comeback and it's unfortunately like the Great Protector and yeah. you know and obviously the Mandarin and it's unfortunately one of those when you look back at you go fuck me is that racist and I believe one of his yes. main villains was called Fu Manchu. Yeah. Can't, like, yeah. like you just say that and go, oh my lord. The 70s were a very yeah. different time. Yeah, it was a different time, unfortunately. But, well, um, fortunately, we've moved on. 
Yeah, uh, oh god, yeah. Fortunately, we have moved on, and I think this kind of modern adaptation... Considering I don't really know anything about the character, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted... But, but was what it what got, you needed? I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh, for God's sake! Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree. I knew nothing about this going in, and I'm like, you know what? Because I know nothing about it, I, I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the martial arts, the set pieces on the bus, which is going to be a standout. Oh, thing the for set years. piece on the bus is fantastic. It's easily the best art best part of the film is the fight on the bus mm. which you do see in the trailers but it's extended and shout out to my guy the cameo guy on the bus again from yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming yeah. <laughs> the guy from Spider-Man Homecoming who goes do a flip and this one's live streaming <laughs> uh, Sean or Shang-Chi uh, fighting on the yeah. bus and he's like giving a running commentary in the background constantly even when the fights are going, yeah, like, you then, can still hear him in the background describing what's going on. It just made me laugh because then you get—I uh, can't remember the character's name now—the guy with one arm. Yeah. You just kind of hear him in the background going, "You got this, bro." Yeah. <laughs> I gotta admit, that did make me chuckle when I heard it. Yeah, so you got this, bro, and, then he, and then he attaches you... a sword to his arm. And he's like, "Maybe you don't got this." <laughs> but you know what? when you say obviously nobody knew kind of anything about the character going into it I think that is why it's getting such raised reviews and people saying it's the be- one of the best uh, Marvel origin films because it's so obscure uh, you are going to get people who do know the character but it's so far removed from the original uh, source material and that's a good thing it's going to offer something a bit different Of oh god yeah and it's kind of it's I like representation on screen as well and more mm. representation of different races uh, sexualities and what have you I'm 100% all in for and to see another side of that within the Marvel Cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe give me all of it yeah um, th- this film was superb uh, and it still delivered on all those sort of amusing Marvel things I kind of like alongside some martial arts which I really like Um, lots of little sort of winks and nudges you sort of see some extremist soldiers fighting some black widows fighting Uh, if you blink and miss it sort of thing and blink for about a minute and a half you'll miss abomination and it's a long minute and a half you'd have to blink to miss him with teeny tiny little ears yeah his design is ever so slightly (laughs) changed but they did get back Tim Roth. Tim Roth to, to Tim do Roth. that. Yeah. yeah. Which is because. Yeah, that boggles the mind. We know that he's making an appearance in She Hulk. Yes, yes, he is. Ooh. Hence them yeah, reintroducing him subtly in the movie. So everybody goes, who the fuck's that? Does their research. Ready for the She Hulk series. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. No, that's a good shout. Hence me rewatching The Incredible people... Hulk. I know people argued over whether The Incredible Hulk was MCU anyway. It because is. It's, it's one of those really weird films because it's technically put out by Universal, I want to say, because hmm. it's a solo film. People didn't really know whether to cancel no, no, it or not. No, no, it's but, I mean, canon. It, it, because, it and another reason I'll say that, in a deleted scene of The Incredible Hulk, 
uh, it has uh, Bruce Banner at the Arctic shooting himself. Yes. And the Hulk spit, uh, swallowing a bullet, and then you see Captain America's shield and that. But if you recall in the Avengers 2012, yeah, he, um, he references yeah, he that references in the lab, going, I got real light at one point, I put a gun in my mouth, and the other guy spat it out. out. And you're like, well, that's telling you that's canon. Let alone now seeing yeah. the abomination that tells you it's canon. Hell, we've seen Thunderbolt Ross a number of times, same actor. Uh, same oh, portrayal yeah. so it's definitely in there in canon and it came out after Iron Man and they even had yeah. Stone, Tony Stark make a cameo at the very uh, as part of a special feature as well so you're like yeah no it's, it's definitely canon and underappreciated I rewatched it and went actually that's not bad I enjoyed it it's a good film because Hulk smash <laughs> But moving back to Shang Chi, yeah. Know, uh, so I dug it. I really, really enjoyed it. Really dug it. The martial arts is a hundred percent, as you said to me. You you were expecting it to be like a martial arts kind of kung mm. fu film, but with budget. Um, and, they and had the martial budget. arts in this mm. is oh yeah, it's absolutely astonishing. It suffers from your typical Marvel Act Three, yep. massive CGI, smashy, smashy. Yeah. But at this point, we've had ten years of MCU, and kind I, of used to it. I already have a fix for how I would have fixed fixed Act Three, the big CG thing. But yeah. before we touch upon that, I just wanted to say, I also liked how they reworked uh, the Mandarin. So yes, his ten yes. rings are not finger rings; each one possessing a different ability. Uh, mm. They are actual arm gauntlets that he found in a crater. Yes which implies they come via an asteroid and they've given him long life but he wears them as a weapon so he can fire them off his wrists as bullets so he can chain them into whips he can use them to repulse himself great distances uh, he can deflect bullets with them generally it makes him a badass but I also liked how they just sort of reworked his history of the Ten Rings as an organisation and everything can kind of went this will work in modern day We'll ditch all of the very stereotypical and uh, shit things from from the history and just take the very best. And and Tony Leung really made this role brilliant. He he was superb. His fighting, his acting, and I genuinely believe that one of the plot devices where he's like, "I want to get my children back together. We need to go save their mother." You're generally going, "I believe this dude," and I believe that he believes what he's believing. Uh yeah, uh, and I was like, "This he is superb." And I especially liked, more... uh, just to finish one more bit, when he takes his yeah, son please, yeah. to the bar and go, "Was that the man?" And I go, "Yep, that was one of the men." And then he proceeds to beat the shit out of five people, and he goes back to his son and going, "This is what we do. Will you help me find the rest of them?" And his son's like, "Well, I don't know. You're quite scary." And he's like, "No, I will." And I'm <laughs> like, "But again, it was just superb." Um, but yeah, you're about to I say think, something. I think he's a much more relatable villain. Mm -hmm. He's definitely one of the stronger villains that have come out of the MCU because a lot of the villains in the MCU have been fairly one-note. Bad guy is bad because he's bad. Yeah, I use I use this example every time. But you think of Malekith, the Dark Elf, poor Christopher Eccleston. What was his motivation? He, he was wants evil to for destroy the sake of everything. Being evil, wasn't he? 
and he would prefer nothing to exist compared to the stuff that exists and you're like that's a bit extreme dude <laughs> yeah I mean there is that but I mean obviously you got Loki as well but I yeah, I mean Loki was always a stronger character in the comics anyway, but mm. seeing kind of this representation on the screen of this character is is fantastic. And I've got to admit, along with the bus fight, the other standout moment for me was the telling of how he met uh, his wife. I can't remember her name now. Yes, in Talo. Yeah, uh, it's... that that whole that whole fight scene in the forest is beautifully choreographed I was watching it in the cinema and my mouth was like literally agape I was like this is almost like ballet it's choreographed so beautifully it's like there's like subtle wire work as well I was getting it's, it's vibes very crouching tiger hidden dragon that's what I was about to say it. that or um, yeah. House of Flying Daggers I, I was getting those yeah, kind House of House of Flying vibes. Daggers is a good shout mm. yeah yeah that scene is was absolutely beautifully choreographed for sure but yeah more 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 martial arts please <laughs> yeah so before i tell you how i would have fixed the end of the film the other moment yeah. that stands out in my memory which made me laugh was when uh sean walks into the ring shirtless and aquafina's at the bar getting drunk she looks and yes. goes sean <laughs> and then and then she has a moment of recollection when she looks him up and down completely right like a look of first on her face before she goes wait no that's Sean <laughs> where's your shirt yeah <laughs> yeah it's just where she looks and going wow he's hot no wait that's Sean it's, it's just that that split that it's just that little moment that really really amused me that was we didn't touch on that either it was also quite nice to have a male and female pairing in a lead role with no that romantic interest in each platonic. other platonic yeah. it was strictly platonic and it didn't lead to any shenanigans shall we yeah let's let's call them shenanigans or sexual tension and things like that it's quite nice to see mm. this kind of platonic relationship yeah. in a film you don't get that often especially from mainstream mm. sort of Hollywood cinema and they're quite happy More... just here in the bar and doing karaoke yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 Hotel yes. California yes. that'll mean something if you've seen it Hotel yeah. California <laughs> so, so right. The way I would have fixed the third act. Spoilers, everybody. When okay. Wu Wen is punching the shit out of that giant dragon scale, and the little Cthulhu's yep. are coming out. When the big yep. Cthulhu come out, I would have had yep. it possess Wu Wen. Ooh, yeah. Thereby, okay. the final third act fight would not have been a giant CG Cthulhu. It would have been would a have possessed been Wu Wen yes. fighting Shang-Chi. And what you can could have had is rather than the great protector resurrect Shang-Chi, or Sean, have him possess Shang-Chi, then you've got Dragon vs. Cthulhu via human avatars. And maybe you could have just Ooh. had them do some fireballs or or more sort of mystical looking martial good. arts on top of everything. Yes. And then yes, I would have gone, it's a live action yeah. finale. And that would have been pretty rad. That's how I would have addressed yeah. that. To go, rather than a giant CG yeah. battle, I would have had them both fight each other and you still could have had it pan out the exact same way. But mm. that would have ticked the box for me. Probably doesn't work for how the Great Protector operates or, or Cthulhu, apparently, who's just chilling in uh, Tai Lao. But, but 
that's how I would have fixed that and I would have gone then we've got a we already had a little battle scrap between the two of them but when they're both possessed and then super powered I would have gone yeah that could have been epic you could have just you could have yeah. done you could have done the end of Matrix Revolutions but good we're having them like flying around fighting yeah that was kind of the only thing that really detracted from me was mm. I wanted more martial arts and I wanted more like kung fu kind of Hong Kong style yeah action cinema I wanted more wire work I wanted more martial arts I wanted them to lean more heavily into that as opposed to what we got not that saying that I... what we got was bad but I, I I really think if they were going to lean into the martial arts kind of element of the film uh, they should have really gone for it to be honest we'll get that in the sequel because so- you have to think yeah, this is the first outing of this character and if you compare him to phase one I'd say and a lot yeah. of people have said this how did he compare to Robert Downey in his first outing Chris Evans in his first outing and Chris Hemsworth in his first outing you go Chris Hemsworth was quite wooden and it took a good two to three films for us to go Yeah, he's four Chris Evans I think from his first film was great but his second film was where I went yeah that's Captain America and Robert Downey obviously is just Iron yeah. Man like and that was yeah. the thing and you kind of go well where does he fall and you go definitely better than four probably on par with Chris Evans and you go second film he... fleshed out it'd be great yeah and I reckon in the second film it'll double down on the martial arts and you really see him start to shine and it'd be great very similar to I think it was the Carpool Critics podcast yeah. uh, whatever they're called nowadays yeah I think they said which I'm in agreement with they said there are there are moments where kind of you can see the formation of the character kind of shining through a little bit but for the most part it, he's got to find his feet in the role to be honest and, and yeah. as you've just said it takes a couple of films or you know uh, writers to get used to writing this style of mm. character and what have you I mean, it's going to take a little while. Because you could retitle the film. You could retitle the film. Wu Wen and the Legend of the Ten Rings. He he was the lead. I mean, arguably, yes. Arguably, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I will watch it again and Mm. see where things lead lead up to. So so fan theory time. Uh oh. Post credit scene. Spoilers. Um, the Hulk's no longer green and he's got a bad arm still what do you reckon this is before or after he's made She-Hulk and additionally more importantly space rings from space whose rings are those are they a celestial's rings well, I think that the Russo brothers said that again. Spoilers, if you if you haven't got it to the point now, spoilers for everything. Spoilers. Um, they said that when the Hulk, Hulkify, in 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 Endgame, um, it was going to cause permanent lasting damage to Hulk. Anyway, which is why his arm is in sling. So he's obviously still basically dealing with the repercussions. So what do you of, reckon? From the click. Change back to human. So he can treat his arm and fix it because as the Hulk, you wouldn't even be able to give him an injection because he's fucking bulletproof. He's changed back to Bruce Banner, get treatment, and then at some point potentially we'll get more of a classic Hulk. Or maybe 
depending on what they want to do with a character longer term, they will go with a different colored Hulk. Maybe we'll go experimental treatment. Now we've got a red Hulk and he's fucking nuts and we need somebody to uh, sort him out or a grey Hulk, brain smart Hulk or, or something more from his backstory. Maybe that could be an element in the She-Hulk series perhaps. I think Maybe she's defending him in tiny... court because he went on a rampage as Red Hulk. Maybe, who knows? It depends what's going to happen in She-Hulk. I really hope it's a courtroom I mean, procedural. Me, I want it to be like I'm Boston Legal. It's going to be like Boston Legal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want it apart. to be like Boston yeah. Legal. Yeah. Yeah. I want it to be Boston Legal. But, I mean, we, we have to see. We're still a year out from She-Hulk and we haven't seen anything. A couple of set photos here and there, but we haven't seen anything of that show really no not yet and obviously tidbits of casting mm-hmm. should we move on from Marvel now yeah so I had a quick pit stop with Bumblebee okay yeah how did you find Bumblebee well it's better than the other ones but it's a bit shit in it <laughs> um I like to see Bumblebee as the cheese filling in a shit sandwich love your um no, actually, I don't love your um, explanation and analogies. There. No. You have to think of, think think about it. It's a shit sandwich because you've got the, all these terrible Bay films, but just in a little bit in the middle of the shit, you've got a little bit of cheese in there, and the cheese is pretty good. No, no, it's not. So the thing with this film, <laughs> I like the intro on Cybertron. Yeah, I'm like, sweet. Why didn't they do this in like any of the other twenty films I've made? Alright, okay. Alright, Bumblebee's the antagonist. Wait, he's on Earth in the 80s. Right, we have a problem here. Because in 2006, I know he's found in a junkyard because for some reason they decided to make this canon with the other films, which I would have not done. I would have just gone, this is a reboot. So I'm like, hang on. So at the end of this film, he needs to end up in a junkyard. Right, okay. Hmm, he's also the wrong model of car, right? Okay, I can see where this is going. Which was literally the final 30 seconds of the film going, oh, that's the model of car I need to be when I'm found in a junkyard. So yeah, I'll just change on that. And you're yeah, like, that's stupid. Yeah, he needs to become Camaro, doesn't he? Yeah. My other issue with this film, why the fuck are they playing... Now, that's what I call 80s music from the CD collection. <laughs> the main lead character don't know her character's name I was that engaged with it was dressed as an alternative goth type always in black always looking miserable had daddy issues why is she listening to all the happy 80s pop music and not some something a little bit more befitting well it's because they brought that that's what I call 80s and had that on shuffle so what you're trying to say is, is she's listening to Duran Duran but she looks like she should be listening to something like the Sisters of Mercy yes <laughs> so, so so that bothered I mean, me yeah, they I mean, they fair. had a whole subplot of going uh you got the hot guy bully and the free the free uh slut girls with him uh and it's like well i dare you to jump off that cliff and it's like well we know she's a good diver she doesn't do it in front of everybody and gets embarrassed and shit kicked out of her piss taken but at the end of the film when no one's around she does a perfect dive into a pool and i'm like so your big payoff there was to do that in front of nobody. That makes no sense based on how you've set that up. Right, okay. Yeah. 
three slut girls who honestly one of them i think was from clueless one of them was right. from a, they were dressed like 90s hookers right they're the kind of characters that right. get get properly like murdered in in eight, 90s action films in the background when arnie's milling through with like a machine gun and i'm like these are going to be 80s school girls essentially students one of them, sorry, you got me thinking about one of them, sorry, you got me thinking about Jason X now. Yeah. We love premarital sex. Yeah, and then Hey, wanna smoke some pot? Yeah. And <laughs> thankfully he zips them up in their sleeping bags and smashes them against a tree. <laughs> Bumblebee yes, would have been better yes, if they did that. Um No. But and yeah, and the thing was right, right, we'll get revenge on her by throwing Bogrel at her house, which ultimately ends up in Bumblebee jumping on her car in front of her house, and I'm like the only person that comes to the door when they hear the car is trashed is the person in question, not her parents. And I'm like, but again, how does that pay off for the lead character when the bully doesn't know it's the lead character responsible? How is any of this yeah. helping the lead character? I just found it really poor. And then the other thing was just like, you've got um, the hot nerd guy who's crushing her and she's like, I ain't got no time for you, bro. I'm like, why have you even bothered putting this guy in the film? You could have cut that character entirely and we still could have got to the conclusion all right. I had a yeah. lot of issues with this film. Y yeah. I liked it, but I think it's purely because it's better than anything we've got previously. Oh, no. Not I'm going to cut you off right there. No, I don't care. going to cut you off right there. How come okay. John Cena did not punch a Transformer? <laughs> because they couldn't see him obviously like if I can get Jason Statham punch a shark in the face but he doesn't he totally does he doesn't no he doesn't he, he walks up to the Meg and goes oi you I'm Statham oi you shark I'm Statham then he nuts him um, Look, I've uh, seen the Meg. He doesn't punch a shark uh, in the face. Honest, Sorry, I hate to break it to you. On, he does. Yeah, I've seen it as well, and I'm pretty sure he did. That's how. I, <laughs> that's how I remember it. No, honestly. So I'm watching this film, going, "Why have you got John Cena in this role when he's doing nothing?" And we we know his acting caliber is not great for this sort of thing. And I'm like, you've got evil scientist who wants to probe the Transformers. Suddenly confused when he goes, Oh no, the, the bad Transformers, the Decepticons are manipulating me. And I'm like, He didn't even get to probe them. Like, what, what is the point of this? I just couldn't fathom it. And, and the bit I kicked myself most about is I almost missed the reference of um, She's Got the Touch, the song made famous by 1986 Transformers animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I damn near missed that and I'm you like the touch. Dun, dun. I know what we're ending this podcast <laughs> to um, <laughs> honestly it just I was just like for fuck's sake so past the time so you said it, it, it was alright but you it was said about, very shit you said about the Cena character my understanding of the John Cena character was that he was going to be a link to the then burgeoning Hasbro cinematic universe because it was at the point where they were going to make this film was everything needs to be a cinematic universe like now 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 and he was going to be the link between the Transformers and uh, G.I. Joe which I oh. don't think panned out for whatever reason well when they introduced um, John Cena's character as random army guy they should have introduced him as 
random G.I. Joe guy. Yeah, that's ideally what they should have done. But it's taken so long for them to do a new G.I. Joe. I mean, obviously the shared Hasbro universe has clearly gone out of the window. Yeah, um, I think other than Marvel and DC to a lesser degree, shared universes are done. And arguably, I don't need them. I don't mind standalones. I'd rather a good standalone. Universe. Wow. That's all you have to say. Dark Universe. Look look how well that did. They cast they cast everybody. They cast the Invisible Man. They cast Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and everybody else. They named them. They named their cinematic universe. And then they put the mummy out. Don't worry, I'm gonna watch the mummy as part of the podcast. There's an episode coming soon. And then look how hard Part of the problem with that, just to cut in, I can't help it. The the yeah. main problem with that is that they cast Tom Cruise and expected him to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, Tom Tom Cruise does not share. No. Considering when is it him who has it um, written into his contract about the running? Yeah. Is this a thing I read somewhere? Uh, that if it isn't, it, around- yeah, gotta be. Yeah, he's people aren't allowed to run alongside him. They always have to be behind him a certain number of lengths and strides yeah. and stuff. Uh, I'm sure I've read that mm. somewhere. Citation very much needed. But well, it sounds just, like a Tom Cruise thing. Just just to throw it in there, just to remind everybody, remember that Tom Cruise running is known as Tom Cruising. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Never forget. It is indeed. Mm. It is indeed. Yeah. Next film. Let's so, go. Let's do this. Uh, the next film I watched. The next film. Funnily enough, that you and I both saw. Yes, indeed. Was Old Boy. Yes, it was. Yeah, Old Boy. What a film! How the hell did we go so long knowing nothing? Old Boy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's one of those knowing, no- knowing nothing about it. Like, no less. I've seen the poster, and I've heard it's really, really good. And that's all I knew for 20-odd years. Yeah, I mean, I was always acutely aware of Old Boy, purely by reputation, and that it's one of Korean cinema's greatest kind of uh, revenge films. And I've seen the iconic poster of our lead character uh, on the poster with Old Boy written on it in the corridor, which, mm. by the way... Is single-handedly the best scene of that fucking movie. Is the corridor fight scene is amazing. That genuinely but must be t- what season one of Daredevil was homaging. Hundred percent, but Old Boy did it better. Well, yeah, he had a hammer. Because it's Old Boy. <laughs> yeah, of course. And a knife in the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a phenomenal tour de force by Park Chan Wook. Wook, I think is how you say it. I've probably absolutely butchered that, but um, yeah, it's an absolute tour de force. I've now actually gone out of my way. I'm trying to pick up the other parts of the Vengeance trilogy, because I don't know if you're aware of this, Matt. This is actually part three of the Vengeance trilogy. Not part two. It might be part two, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's part two, sorry. I believe it's part two, because you told me it was part two. Yeah, so I don't know if you're aware of this, Matt. Um, this is actually technically part two of the Vengeance trilogy by the uh, same director. I now am. And is that very much like the Cornetto trilogy? It's sort of a 
uh, thematic trilogy. Yeah, it's interesting because the director doesn't consider the films like a trilogy. It's only really when it's come over to the West that we have to put a label on everything. Uh. And they've gone... Ah, yeah, these are all thematically similar. So this Vengeance trilogy is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy. And I managed to pick up the other day, which I'm going to watch, uh, Lady Vengeance, which is part three. Nice. It's it's an old release. It's a Tartan Asia Extreme release, but... That's a good label. I'll upgrade it to Blu-ray. I'll, I'll upgrade it when I get to the chance to do it because I think Arrow have put them all out I believe on Blu-ray oh that's the other thing we've got to say as well Old Boy the restoration we saw I believe it was a 4K it was a 4K restoration and I was about to say did we not see the words Arrow in the yes uh, yeah we did see Arrow Arrow films at the start of it yeah Yeah, of course we did yeah That's, that's a fucking phenomenal film I really, really don't want to spoil it for anybody because and we won't. genuinely, genuinely, I did not see the end coming, and it was so twisted it, in only yeah. a way that non-Western cinema can be. Yeah, we don't tend to get cinema like that, and certainly no, not execute as well. Oh, good lord, no! I. Honestly, anybody listening right now, go on the Just Watch website, our unofficial sponsor, find out where you can stream the original Old Boy. We don't, we're not talking about the so American is, remake with Josh Brolin. You will find it listed as Old Boy 2003. Yeah, get on it and watch it because, my word, it's easily one of the best films I've seen this year. And we will probably come back to this in our year long retrospective in the coming in a yeah, couple of months time it, it, because it it's easily one of the best things I've seen this year brilliant it's got some really creative cinematography but more importantly mm. it stays with you there's a lot of moments where even now over the past couple of days bearing in mind we saw yeah. this numerous days ago I was thinking about going oh yeah there was that little bit there which which hints or teases and you don't clock it or it's one of those nice little thinky moments um, yeah, yeah, so all that's... I can say is, is that the, the critical praise and acclaim that it has is justified. It's truly justified, yeah. Like I say, that's a sign of good cinema in that it makes you think like all those days later about how how much it's affected you. Uh, there is another film that has done that. Um, actually, twice this year it's done that. One of those being earlier in the year, again, I will probably come back to in the best of, of 2021 in a couple of months' time. But the other film that did that for me was actually the brand new Candyman film that I saw on my own <laughs> while we were away. Yeah, that's not one for me. But no, I, I, so... I was I was most amused. Um, I text you and I referenced the song from Willy Wonka and the chocolate yeah. factory the candy man the candy can man can. and the, that is what the film started with I was like yes I could have wrote that film <laughs> so I went into it thinking it was going to be either a remake or a belated sequel to the candy man franchise of which I believe there is either four or five films at least. I want to say I haven't I haven't seen any of them. I'm gonna rectify it because yes, I 
Arrow Video, if you're listening, come come sponsor this podcast because I buy a lot of your releases and I have your releases. Buy all of them. I buy them all. <laughs> um, hashtag not spawn, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm going to shortly rectify it and I'm going to watch it. So this is done in the same style as Halloween 2018. So it is a sequel to that original film. It references events of the original film, but it completely ignores all of its sequels and follow-ups, which I think is probably best for horror if you want a truly uh, a fresh slate where you have a character that you can work with without all of the silliness that every director thereafter went, oh shit they've led me down this path, I've got to follow this path Hello Thorn Legacy and Thorn Yes, we're talking about you Michael Just name literally every horror franchise and they've done that <laughs> uh, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street Friday the 13th Children of the Corn Saw yes. Just, yes. you could just keep you literally name every horror franchise and you're like at some point they've ended up at such a tangent that they've ended up in fucking space yes yes they have <laughs> like, it's where all good horror films go out to in a park and he's in space what <laughs> spies Spice, <laughs> spice, but um, going back to Candyman though, I I love this film. So a lot of people are heaping praise on Jordan Peele, who co-wrote the film and produced this new iteration of the film, which is fine because the writing in this film is bloody brilliant. But a lot of the praise that people are forgetting to bestow is upon the director Nia Da Costa because she does an absolutely phenomenal job of all of the kind of set pieces, locations, the acting. I oh, It's just such a great film from this perspective. So it is, without spoiling the plot too much, essentially it's this uh, socially conscious artist who comments on a lot of the brutality within the black community by police and society and things like that and he hears of the legend of the Candyman and he starts to create art based around this legend that he's heard from various people in kind of this uh, district that's where the first film takes place about the legend of the Candyman and yes, it is Tony Todd returning in this film as the Candyman as well, just just before you ask. Sweet. But it's all about this character kind of losing himself in his art and the legend of the Candyman and basically his art inadvertently brings back the Candyman. It's such a wild trip. It's socially uh, conscious of all of the things it's trying to say as well with kind of within these marginalised communities you know there is, I'm not going to spoil the ending but the ending stuck with me for days on end especially in this socially relevant era, it really puts a spotlight on the hardships and kind of social injustices afforded onto the black community especially now within this uh, time and age of Black Lives Matters and obviously but moving on from that as well this film I think I spoke about it on Twitter 
um, for those who follow the podcast will know what I'm on about. This film has got some amazing shadow puppetry in it, which I was not expecting. Match just looked at me really confused now. Yeah, so there's certain parts in the film where they're explaining the legends of the Candyman. They use shadow puppetry to kind of illustrate these stories and legends, rather than just being told to you via... Uh, for lack of a better phrase, a context dump by a character. It's kind of explained, like I said, That's... using these wonderful kind of shadow puppetry, and it really, really stays with you. The end credits... That sounds really... Um, that sounds really it creepy. It really, really is. And thereby really It's effective. really creepy. It is really effective. Kind of the end credits, you get a montage of all these different stories of the Candyman because there's like several legends of the Candyman because supposedly it's different people and things like that and would those other legends potentially be the sequels that I mean potentially can? yes um, again I haven't seen the other films so I couldn't possibly like tell you but it seems to be what it is but the, it's the only thing I can compare it to really where another film has done this and I don't like to bring it out very often it would be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one so you know the kind of the, the tales of Beedle the Bard the style they've done that in it's kind of similar to that yeah. but this is literally it's like handcrafted uh, shadow puppets and you can see kind of hands moving all of the, the puppets and the figures and uh, yeah it just sounds like nine. do you know what I saw it nine o'clock at night and I came out at about uh, quarter past 11, 12 o'clock it's pitch dark, obviously we were away on holiday I had to walk back to the hotel and I've never walked so bloody quick in my life because my word, that fucking film stayed with me all night so so, so behind the scenes for the listeners I went, no thanks I won't be seeing that So, I'm very picky with the horror films I like yeah. to watch because I have a great imagination it could be a really poor horror film but if it's got a great concept my imagination will make that concept so much more powerful hours, yeah. days, weeks later after the film for the longest time the concept of Freddy yeah, Krueger really about fucked to bring me up despite, despite that first film being arguably quite amusing and those subsequent films just yeah. being a bit naff the concept of it in isolation really is so powerful and that's one of those things where at like 2am you wake up and your brain just goes oh yeah but what if he gets you <laughs> yeah and I'm like great now I can't sleep I need all the lights on I need happy music I need to find my happy place even as like a, a, as like um, a mid 30 sort of person I'm like yeah you know what that looks like a film that's going to bother me <laughs> thereby that means it's a great film it, and I won't be able to watch it. Candyman 2021 is it's simply astounding. It's one of the best bits of horror I've seen within a cinema setting for sure. Because I've got to say, like you said, like we said with Old Boy, this really stuck with me for a couple of days afterwards. And if a horror film can do that, I'm not going to lie, I'm mostly desensitised to most things. Just given purely... I've seen his Just DVD given purely collection. of the amount of absolute horror and torment and torrid things I have seen 
like Cannibal Holocaust, 120 Days of Sodden. I've covered The Human Centipede Part 2. I've seen all three of those films. A lot of Italian B-movie horrors, a lot of the 90s horrors and exploitation films and black exploitation and Mondo films and so on and so forth. Anyway, basically what I'm getting at is I'm quite desensitized, so a lot of things that would shock other people necessarily wouldn't shock me. Um... But this, yeah, it really, really stuck with me, even with its kind of uh, its social message with it. That that was the bit that stuck with me more than, say, the horror aspect of it, was the whole socio-political kind of message behind it. I've got to say, I, got, I did see it in a perfect setting, because I was sat in the cinema. I haven't had this happen for a good few years now. There was a There was a couple coming behind me, and they sat down about five minutes into the film. Every time a character walked into a dark room, and there was no music, and it was just diegetic sound within the scene, I would just hear her every now and again just whisper to her, her boyfriend or husband or whatever, going, oh my god, I can't take this. I just can't do this. I can't do this. I can't take it. I can't handle it. I was almost worried that you're about to say it was going to be like the intro to Scary Movie 2 <laughs> where the lady's sitting in the theatre shouting at the screen going, Bitch, run! Don't go in there! God no. damn, you stupid! Oh no, so you had a good, good no, audience. No, I had that good. with Snakes on the Plane uh, about 15 years ago. I had that with a whole group of people on Snakes on the Plane and that was an amazing experience. <laughs> I had a good crowd for that as well but the only moment that really any of us reacted to is when the snake bites that gentleman's torture oh yes yes of course yeah because every male in the room went oh meanwhile you got me desensitized to most things in the universe just absolutely cackling my head off so there you go what can I say Mm. there there we are right so I reckon to lighten the mood before we close off I'm going to pop you a little thing into discord and I just want to know if you've seen it right let's have a look oh no I haven't seen this yet actually Yes! All right. Would you like to describe to our wonderful listeners what it is I've provided? (laughs) So it is a Rick and Morty adult swim... Is it a stinger? I guess it would be a stinger, wouldn't it? Um, But the noble thing about it is it is live action. Uh, Rick is played by... Is that fucking Christopher Lloyd? That is Christopher Lloyd from that Back to the Future. And he does the belch as well. And then Morty is yep. played by... He is the boy from... I honestly don't know his name. Matt will probably tell me. He is the boy from It. That's what I know him from. Because he is in the newest It film. Yeah, that's... Is he in Stranger Things? That is how I was going to... That's how I, I was think, going to address him. I think he's the boy in from a, it. Uh, I think he might be in Stranger Things as well, but don't get me started on Stranger Things. That's for a podcast for another time. <laughs> That's great. I like that. It's basically them stepping out of a portal going, I think we're home. That's great fun. I hadn't seen that. I'd seen it doing the rounds, but I purposely hadn't watched it. Excellent. So yeah, it was just one of the things I saw and I went, well, for a long time we've all just gone, That's Doc and Marty. And <laughs> lo and behold... Doc Emmett Brown is Rick Sanchez and I just looked at that and went oh that's a nice little joke and I'm glad that Christopher Lloyd was up for it um, 
And I just wanted to share that as a nice little light heart. Good, note because I feel traumatised trying to remember about Candyman. <laughs> Excellent. So, so, does that mean you've had your fill? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, now that I'm re-traumatised <laughs> of all the thoughts of social injustice in the world. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Do you agree or disagree? Why don't you get in contact with us? We're over on Twitter as at anyone podcast. We're also on Facebook. Just search for us. You will find us. Longer rants, rambles, considerations can be sent via email to anyoneforseconds at gmail.com. We're also on Twitch. Not very often, but we do occasionally go over there. It's twitch.tv forward slash anyone podcast. Don't forget to leave us a like rating review on your podcast platform of choice as it helps us grow the podcast and we can infect further ears. The Candyman. The Candyman can. Candyman can pass. He mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. You got the touch. You got the power.